think we, uh, last week in the uh, message, we shared the story behind that song, Day by Day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to face my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. The young lady who wrote that, her name was Cynthia Burke, and uh, she wrote thousands of songs in her lifetime. That one was written after she was traveling with her father, and her father drowned. Uh, they were traveling across a lake in Sweden, and a wave, a rogue wave, hit the side of the boat, and uh, her father fell in and drowned. But she was able to write that song. You know, much good can come from hurt. You know, God, God never wastes, God never wastes suffering. Um, I read a book a number of years ago. It's called Suffering, the Saint's Highest Calling. Because sometimes when we go through things, we, we think, boy, what is God doing? And sometimes it's incumbent upon us to, to see what God wants to do. And I don't know how many times, you know, whether I've heard Lauren play that or we've sung it in a church service here or across the years, many, many years. And I've thought how, how much that has helped me, how that has blessed me. Um, and God wants to do that for all of us. But thank you for, for playing that this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at these two verses. And I know we have been going through the fruit of the Spirit for an extended period of time. Um, and uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll wrap it up here before 2025. And uh, no, seriously, we, we should be done in a few weeks. But uh, it always amazes me how much you can find in the Word of God. Shall we stand, if you would, please? And I'll read along these two verses, and then we'll pray and let you be seated before our special this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. You follow along as I read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. We'll continue on with faith this morning. Lord, help us today. Oh, amen. Thank you for that. And uh, we have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and those are uh, kind of the identifying uh, trademarks, if you will, characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. We've been going through them. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. And uh, we realize that uh, along the way, we've interrupted it for a number of things, but uh, we do want to uh, continue on that vein this morning. Let's pray once more, and we'll jump right in. Lord, we thank you again for giving us the opportunity to be in your house. Help us in these moments. Guide and direct our words and thoughts. Lord, please forgive us where we fall short. And we realize none of us are worthy, Lord, to come into your presence. <coughs> but, Lord, because of you, uh, we can come boldly uh, to the throne of grace uh, to find mercy and help, Lord, in time of need. And, Lord, I, I thank you for that. And I'd ask you to help us as only you can today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking about faith. Uh, we mentioned from the very beginning, um, Stuart Adams and Robert McNeil, we said this at the outset, two names you never heard of, but you trust them. Everybody trusts, everybody has faith. Stuart Adams and Robert McNeil developed, respectively, ibuprofen and Tylenol. And uh, nobody has, um, probably just about everybody here, with overwhelming percentage, if not every single person, has trusted those men who you never met, you've never seen, you don't know anything about them, but you believed what they said. So the first thing <coughs> that we examine is faith must be in the right person. 
The Bible tells us, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. I'm hustling through this because much of this is review. Faith, secondly, is the only means of salvation. You're not saved by good works. Um, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we, we have done, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. The Bible tells us further, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Um, and so faith must be in the right person. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes people say in such a generic sense, and you hear it sometimes when celebrities or people are making a, a public display and they say, well, I believe God or just thank God. We got to be kind of specific because a lot of people believe in God, but there is only one name whereby you can be born again, and that's the name Jesus Christ. Uh, there is only one, and that's Jesus. When he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, he removed everybody, every other religion, and every other denomination. There are no ties, <coughs> uh, no connections, no access to heaven except through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why John the Baptist uh, looked off in the distance and saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold, the, the, that's a definite article, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's all inclusive. And uh, when Jesus Christ came, we understand that uh, our faith must be in the right person. It is the only means of salvation. Then the third thing, <clears throat> our faith is supported by our works, our life evidence. You can say what you believe, but you prove what you believe by what you do and how you live. You came in and sat down in that chair, never really gave it a second thought. You believed it would hold you. And some of you, it took more faith than others. Um, man, tough crowd this morning. But, uh, but the fact is, you didn't have any question about it. You just plopped yourself down. And you, uh, you, you believed that some guy somewhere designed that. And he put it all together. And he figured out, this will work. This will suffice. You've never met the guy. You didn't know anything about him, but you trusted him. And your faith in that man who put that chair together and those who packaged it and assembled it and shipped it and placed it here, you believed each and every one of those persons to a certain degree. So faith is supported by our works, our life evidence. And then the uh, fourth thing that we said, <coughs> faith is unseen but felt. The Bible says, <coughs> Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not see. That's all in way of review. And then uh, let's move forward to the next thought. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, faith is, is hope when you see no way. And a lot of times in life, you go through things and you don't see, how am I going to get out of this? And it could be anything. It could be hurt. It could be dead. It could be sickness. It could be tragedy. It could be heartache. It could be disappointment. And sometimes you feel like you're in a fog. You, you have no way out. And so faith is hope when we see no way. <clears throat> uh, Hudson Taylor, when he was making his first trip to China, <clears throat> was traveling, of course, by ship. And they were, uh, they were near the island of Sumatra and uh, the Malay Peninsula. And uh, they lost their wind, which is kind of important when you're traveling by sail. And the captain uh, came to tell him, he said, we dropped our sails. He said, we have no wind. We are drifting aimlessly. And uh, the, the captain came down specifically to knock on Hudson Taylor's door because he realized he was such a man of faith. And he said, you better pray. He said, because the island to which we are drifting is a island inhabited by cannibals. And he said, we, have, we are destined to there. That's where we're going if we get no wind 
he said, we're doomed. And they could see it off in the distance, and the, the waves and, and what breeze there was was carrying them directly to it. Hudson Taylor, he said, sir, he said, strike the sails. And he said, but Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind. And he said, you've came, and you've asked me to pray. He said, God has sent me to China. And he said, to China is where we're going. He said, but you've got to strike the sails to prove that the faith that you have in the God to whom I'm praying is going to bring the wind to carry us to China. And the captain said, well, I'll tell them to strike the sails, but they're going to think I'm crazy because there's no wind. And he said, you do your job and let God do his. And so he began to pray and they struck the sails. And as soon as the sails were completely intact, the wind came. The rest of the story is history. They wound up in China and Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission. And many of those ministries that he founded more than a century ago are still in operation today, giving the gospel in Asia. You say, how did that happen? Because faith is hope when you see no way. You know, I was reading recently, <coughs> you know, about uh, George Mueller. George Mueller came from a, man, a terrible life. In fact, George Mueller, when he was, uh, he was converted as a young man, but uh, his father died young. George Mueller was a, a drunk. He was involved in all type of, of sin. In fact, when his mother was dying, they sent for him and he was too drunk to even make it home to see his mother before she passed away. He was 16 years of age. George Mueller was converted at the age of 20 to begin immersing himself into the Bible. And he said he instantly, as soon as he got saved, it was dramatic. He said the moment he got saved, he had an intense hunger and passion for the Word of God because his life was changed. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And that's what happened with George Mueller. George Mueller, it's, it's, it's said that George Mueller never one time asked for a dollar for his ministry work. But in today's terminology, George Mueller probably raised in excess of $100 million. And literally thousands upon thousands of young people were reached for the gospel in his orphanages across England. George Mueller, his first wife passed away and his second wife passed away. But, but George Mueller... <coughs> At, his, at the funeral for his first wife, I think they were married about 26 years, I think is what it was. But, but he was talking about how when he got saved, he realized that he was going to ask God for everything. And so he did. And so he instantly became aware and started keeping a prayer journal. And he kept that journal until the day he passed away, 60 plus years of ministry. George Mueller had recorded over 50,000 specific prayers that he had prayed and God had answered. And in that journal, they found and recognized that, that there were 5,000 prayers that George Mueller prayed that were answered the very day he prayed. There were times when George Mueller would pray for food for the children in the orphanage, and they had none. One such occasion, George Mueller gathered the young people into the dining hall, almost 200 children, and they had nothing with which to feed them. And so the ladies came to George Mueller and said, what do we do? We don't have any food. He said, gather them together. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the food. Ladies looked at him and said, Pastor Mueller, there's, there's no food. His wife said to him, George, we have no food. And he said, you pray. And he said, if you pray God thanking, and if you pray believing that you shall receive, he said, we just got to trust him. He said, God has food. We just don't have it yet. 
So they gathered them all in the, the dining area there. <coughs> Children sat down, totally oblivious, not knowing what was going to happen. George Mueller began to pray, thanking God for the food they were about to receive. Imagine that. You know, many times, by the way, we talk about living by faith, but truth of the matter is, very few of us as Christians are practicing faith. George Mueller began to pray, and in the middle of his prayer, while he was praying, one of the ladies who was helping in the kitchen area, there was a knock on the door, and a gentleman from down the road, his wagon had broken a wheel, and they had all of this milk on the wagon and cheese and dairy products. And she said, we have to unload it. We can't take it into town. Some of it is already spilled over into the, into the lane, and so we have to give it to someone. Could you all use some milk and dairy products? And the lady said, well, yes, we can. George Mueller's still praying. They're offloading the dairy products. A baker happens to be in the area and drops off a load of bread because he had too much to sell in town that day, and they had no way to get rid of it. It was going to go bad. Could you all use this today? George Mueller's still praying, and all of that food is delivered. Now, that may not have been your idea of a meal, but by the way, grilled cheese is pretty good. You know, you, you throw a slab of cheese on some bread, and you can eat pretty good, you know. Some of you think ramen noodles is all right. And so, but hey, here are these young people, 200 of them, and they're overwhelmed with what God is doing. Hey, listen, everything that you and I face, face, face in this life can be met by faith. It's hope when you see no way. We don't like that. We like to we like to be able to see and we like to be able to know what is coming and, and what is coming on the next leg of the journey. It's been said that, that uh, there, there are three types of people. Those that are in the midst of trouble, those that have just come out of trouble, or those that are heading into it and have no idea it's coming. That's why Job said, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We're born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And you can look at any given day, and even in a crowd this size, we have a great crowd this morning. Praise the Lord for that. But I promise you, if we start at the front on every side and go through everyone here and ask you to write down your burdens, your hurts, your disappointments, your troubles, your trials, your heartache, everybody have something. Some people probably ask for more time. I can't even list them all. But by the way, God doesn't say count your many. The, the songwriter didn't say count your many troubles. Count your many burdens. Count your many blessings and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, do not be discouraged thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings. See what God hath done. You know, there's times in life where, um, you know, it looked like there was no way out of a problem. It looked like there was no hope on the horizon. But God always makes a way. And I think one, one of the things <coughs> that we have to understand about faith, faith is hope when we see no way. Someone mentioned to me this week, we were talking in the office, and last week we gave the example of Thomas, who's known for one thing. You know, what a bummer, too, you know? He's known as what? Doubting Thomas. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, and this is also a great encouragement, is we, most people don't know the rest of the story. If Paul Harvey were here, he would tell us the rest of the story. So you don't even know who Paul Harvey was, but uh, you, you're missing it if you don't. Trust me. It was a day in our country when things were really, really good. But Paul Harvey would say, and now you know the rest of the story. <coughs> but Thomas said, I don't believe it. 
I, I've heard he's resurrected, but I don't believe it. In fact, I won't believe it until I can do this. He, he literally wanted, what a thing to ask for to believe, by the way. You know, I want to I wanna touch, I want to put my hand there in the wound. And I'm thinking, come on, Thomas, Tommy, come on, what are you talking about? You really want to do that? That's what you're running for? You, that's going to be your proof, but that's what he said. Unless I could do this, and then boom, it happened. But the thing we don't know about Thomas, and by the way, many times as your faith is tested, Thomas went on and he preached a massive revival, and he went to India, in fact, across uh, Europe and then into, uh, in Asia, and uh, not Europe, but Asia, rather, and, and spread the gospel. And Thomas wound up being martyred for his faith. Thomas was the one who said he, he, when they were going to crucify him, which was a common form of execution, they did, he said, don't, don't crucify me the same way you did Jesus Christ. I want to be hung upside down. And he was actually crucified in the form of an X, the crux de casada. And that was, that was Thomas, Thomas's choice. He said, I'm not worthy to be hung the way Jesus Christ was crucified. That's Thomas. All we see about Thomas is that moment that he doubted. And so when you go through those windows and seasons of life and you think, well, I begin to doubt. I'm not sure I trust. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. It's all, it's all fuzzy. It's, it's foggy right now. One of the great lessons from a doubting Thomas is that you can come through and do great things for the Lord. That was Thomas's legacy, if you will. So faith is hope when we see no way. Then may I say this further, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I take this. You know what Paul writes this to the church? It's kind of staggering because we don't think this way. Maybe you do, but I don't. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. How about you? Usually, especially if you're a guy. Come on, ladies, say amen to this. If guys are sick, everybody knows. Ladies, say amen. You know you want to. I mean, it's everything. My girls have asked me. Now, I haven't hurled in a long time. Okay, you know what hurling is? It's not that Olympic sport where they, they, that's curling. Okay, hurling, lost it, upchuck, whatever you want to call it, okay? You know, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I haven't done that in a long time. But my girls, I've heard them say this, Dad, why are guys so loud when they do that? And I don't know what it is. And so I, I can tell you, sometimes my, my daughters or other people in my family who are females have, uh, you guys are slow this morning, stay with me. When they have lost it, you barely hear them. It's like, really, that's all you got? Man, because when I go, you know, it's it's... But did that bother you? I'm sorry. I should have given you a heads up so you could have turned away or something. But when a guy does it, the whole neighborhood knows, right? And guys, when you're sick, you know, it's like, I literally heard a guy say this one time. He, he was talking about his flu, and he, was, he, said, he said, man, he said, I, I think I have an idea of what my wife went through when she had our children. Okay, now I'm a guy, but I wanted to hit him. I thought, what in the world? Are you kidding? And, and I'm just going to leave that one there. But, but guys, man, we, when we are sick, everybody knows. Right, ladies? And, you know, sometimes people in my house will even make comments like, you know, women get sick and they got to keep on going. Guys get sick and they get to lay down for three days. I don't know if that's entirely true, and I'm not sure what experiences they're drawing from when they make statements like that. But nonetheless, I've heard those kinds of things. But here's Paul, and he says this. Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities. Think about that. In reproaches, 
in necessities, that means doing without, in persecutions and in distresses. Now notice this, for Christ's sake. There's several things there. He, he realizes that everything that has happened to me, in fact, he uses this expression, this phrase, for the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, it doesn't matter to me what happens as long as God is glorified, God works, God's will is done, God's will is accomplishment. Now, here's what he says. For when I am weak, then am I strong. How does that happen? Because he realizes it's not his strength. He, he's not trusting. He's not completely dependent upon him. So may I say this about faith. Faith is strength when we have none. When you feel, listen to me, spiritually wiped out. You have none. Hey, listen to me, church. It's those times when you don't even want to pray. You're spent. Those moments where you know what you need to do, spiritually speaking, but you don't even want to. You know you've got to put one foot ahead of the other, but you just don't feel like it. Every child of God has moments, seasons, if you will, where they don't even want to be a good Christian. I prayed and prayed and prayed. Why should I keep praying? I didn't get an answer. I didn't get an answer that I hoped for. I didn't get an answer that I liked or that I thought would work best for me. This is what I got? I prayed and asked for God's will to be accomplished in my life and God's will to be done. And this is it. And so in our heart and our life, we're just saying, man, I'm spent. I have no strength. My strength is gone. If you're not there, I guarantee you in our crowd this morning, some of you are there. Some of you have been there. Some of you will be one day. And you'll hit it, you'll come against it, and your faith will be tested. And hey, listen, everybody knew Job was a man of faith, but fire proved it. You know, when God said, hast thou considered my servant Job, there's not anyone like him. When God made that statement, and by the way, that one I've always wrestled with. You know, here's Job, he's so awesome, have at him. I mean, really, you know, should God please not think so highly of me? You know, that's probably what you're thinking. You know, I want to make sure I don't achieve Job status. Man, but that was Job. And so when God put him there, we knew what Job was like because God said, there's not anyone on the planet like him. I'm paraphrasing. He said because of his fear for God and his fleeing from wrong. He said he fears God and he eschews, he runs from evil. He doesn't even want to be around it. He runs from the wrong crowd. He doesn't go to the wrong places. He doesn't do the wrong things. He banishes those wrong thoughts that we all have. Just the difference is Job said, I'm not going to entertain them. He's the one who said, I, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I think upon a maid? Which means the temptation probably came at some point in Job's life too. Job just didn't spend time there. But here's Job, and in that moment, you see Job's greatness through tragedy. You see his triumph through adversity. And so when Paul says, I take pleasure 
Paul understood this. Arguably the greatest Christian in the New Testament, Paul said, this is what's happening, so I know God is working. And I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how it's going to shape out. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's coming, but I know this. I take pleasure. It's why David, the psalmist of Israel, the only one in the Bible that God said was a man after his own heart. David said this, it was good for me that I was afflicted. He said, then have I learned thy statutes. In other words, he said, when those things came, it drove me to this. Human nature says, when those things come, I abandoned this. But not those who choose to walk the halls of faith in their life. How could Paul say that? Paul would later give his testimony. He's he's nearing death. Can you imagine anybody facing facing death as Paul did? It's It's unbelievable. Here it is, he pins the words to Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher boy who Paul mentored, if you will. And he gets here at the end, he said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept, what's the word? The faith. The faith. He said, the the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that was coming. And it wasn't long after that, he was executed for preaching the gospel. But he was able to look through all of that, and he said, you know, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've been beaten to to the point of death. They cast me out of the city. I've been in prison. I mean, you talk about everything that Paul had gone through. And he gets down here right into the church at Corinth, a wicked carnal church, if you will, a worldly church that he has to constantly remind them what you used to be, you used to be, and you're not anymore But he tells them this in this chapter in 2 Corinthians, the second letter. He says, when those things happen, I didn't always learn it at the time. In fact, Paul was the one who said God removed this thorn in the flesh three times or three seasons or three bouts with it, whatever it might have been, and God never did. Didn't mean he stopped praying, but more than that, it didn't mean he stopped preaching. And it didn't mean he stopped practicing So that when he gets to the end, and by the way, everybody's going to get to the end. You're not getting out of here alive. None of us. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die and after this to judgment. But everything in Paul's journey from the Damascus Road experience prepped him for that day. Because when he gets to the very end, he says, I kept the It doesn't mean it was smooth sailing. You never know how strong the ship is until the waves hit. And they hit. And when they do, you realize when I am weak, then am I strong. How does that happen? It doesn't doesn't even make sense. Because we get to the next thought of this, but it's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, (coughs) not by sight. I'm good as long as I can see. I want to know what's coming. I want to know what's around the corner. I want to know how it's all going to work out. It's like reading a book, and I like to read. But I, every once in a while, not often, especially if I'm, re- if I'm reading a book and it, and it stalls. I used to think if I started reading a book, I had to finish it, like there was some kind of secret bond that I had with the author. 
you know, I started this. I got to finish it so I can't put it down because he's going to know. <laughs> really? Duh. And finally, I realized this. If I start reading a book and you don't get me in the book, then I'm sorry. You go back on the shelf and I don't keep reading. How many you readers, you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hands. All right. If you don't get me. But then sometimes you'll get a book and it's like, I, I'm there and I cannot put this thing down. It's one of the fabulous things about reading. I encourage you to read, but nonetheless. And, and as you're reading this, there have been rare occasions where I, I couldn't wait, and I peaked. Okay, because I was just, I, you know, it was like I couldn't read it fast enough. There, there's some books like that, rare, but boy, when they get you, they get you. We know, here's how we live, though. <coughs> we, as God's people, remember Paul writing this second letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, we, and he's including them. This is so amazing. Because they weren't really, we could say this, they weren't Paul's level of Christianity. That's why he wrote two very lengthy letters to them to correct and to instruct and to encourage. But he tells them, he says, hey, church, we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, because faith is also walking when you can't see the road ahead. You know, and that's, that's how we live. The African impala is an amazing animal. <coughs> and it can leap vertically 10 feet into the air. 10 feet. Can you imagine that? Uh, they, they run with such grace. The African impala, however, can be kept in a compound with a three-foot-high fence. If it's a wall of some type that cannot be seen through, for one reason, the African impala will never jump where it cannot see that it's going to land. So they can be kept in an enclosure with just a a wall that tall. And the impala will come up as close to it as they can, and they'll graze right against a fence in an enclosure. But if they cannot see where they're going to land, they won't even approach it. You know, the lesson there is so comparable to us as God's people. Because it's like, follow, follow, I would follow Jesus. Anywhere, everywhere, I would follow on as long as I can see what's next. But you don't always know what's next. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine because its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry over the future. Well, I wish that were true. For I know what Jesus said. You know, and the thing is about our lives, I don't know what 2020 is going to bring. I hope it's great things. I hope it's great things for you personally. But I know this. I know who holds tomorrow. And sometimes I feel like that Impala. It's only a three feet tall wall. But I just can't see beyond it. And I don't even have the strength to leap over it. And I'm totally out of practice sometimes in my faith. But Paul said, those moments when I'm weak, I realize why 
because it was then that God was showing himself through me. Faith. It's walking when you can't see the road ahead. You see, because a Christian life, it's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. One step, then another, then another, then another. Probably all of us today would say, I got this plan for this week or this plan for this month or this plan for this year, whether it's a trip or a job or a workout or exercise or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But the fact is, we don't even know about tomorrow. But God says this to every believer, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. The same God that you trusted for salvation says, trust me for living. Trust me to get you through. Trust me to keep you going. So how do you do that? You get up, you get up tomorrow, and you put one foot in front of the other. So what do I do Tuesday? You get up Tuesday, one foot in front of the other. Day after day after day. So that someone could write after the passing of their father, right in their presence, day by day, and with each passing moment, strength, I find, to face my trials here. Trusting in my father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. That's faith. 